Are you interested in money, trends and behaviours? Welcome to Fin Talking, hosted by Jemima Joseph, Cassandra Crowe and Erica Hall. Just a quick reminder that this podcast provides general information only. It is not intended to provide financial, legal or tax advice. If you need advice, please consult a professional. Now let's get Fin Talking. Welcome back. I'm Erica Hall and I'm here today with Cassandra Crowe and Jemima Joseph. And today we're going to talk about something that we think is really important and it's all about trust. And I think generally institutions globally have an issue with trust. We're a lot less trusting than we have been in the past and financial services is not um, immune to this either. Clearly, we had the Royal Commission um, into misconduct in the financial services industry. And to be perfectly frank, some of those findings were pretty shocking. Like, I was actually really surprised at some of those um, outcomes. And so, what's happened as a result of that is banking is one of the least trusted professions in Australia. I think that that's a real problem because trust really matters. And my view on trust really mattering is that if you don't trust in the industry, you're likely to try and do it yourself. And I think that you're then likely to get a suboptimal outcome. I think you're much better off to be able to you know, trust in the industry and get great professional advice and, and improve your outcomes. Off the back of the Royal Commission, it did expose a lot of awful practices that, I mean, us as practitioners had no idea that was going on in the industry. And it was really shocking to see some Individuals and organisations were charging, you know, continuing advice fees to people who had passed away. I mean, that is absolutely Outrage. shocking. <laughs> and it it really is. And it's it's so awful and um, very concerning as a consumer as well as a practitioner. Um, so I think that the industry is really at a crossroads where we're at a, a point in time where the blindfold has been removed Everything has kind of been exposed, or at least hopefully everything has been kind of exposed. And we're at a time where we need to reinvest into corporate culture and conduct. So as organisations, are we breeding the right culture to ensure that the outcomes are like what they should be? Are we, you know, rewarding the right behaviour? As individuals, are we doing what is best to ensure the best outcomes of the communities that we serve? Are we holding ourselves into high regard? Are we doing what's morally and ethically right? It might not be in the legislation that you need to do this exact thing, but when you do the whole litmus test around ethics and Mm. is just this feel right? And I think your point on culture is really interesting, actually, your point on culture, because um, if you read Adele Ferguson's book, Banking Bad, and I got to see her um, being interviewed when that book first came out. And that culture was really the catalyst for all the, the bad behaviour that um, occurred. And so she talked about exactly. it went from, well, it went into a really sort mm. of hyper sales culture. And um, that was from the, the leadership, from, from the CEO mm. down. The bank started to really sort of move into mm-hmm. selling product and <laughs> I almost feel like when I was reading some of the the parts of her book that, you know, perhaps even some of these branch managers were just under so much pressure to sell that they might not have even realised the consequences of what they were selling and didn't understand the products that they were selling and what could happen. Um, and I think of the currency loans mm. for farmers and, yeah, the interest rates yeah. were lower in, say, Switzerland, but they completely missed the, the currency risk component. 
And so I think that the branch managers potentially were thinking they were doing the right thing and we're obviously under a lot of pressure because of this sales culture to then sell to the clients. But really mm. the problem was the culture and the changing culture and that emanated from the very top. So exactly, that's key, right? That's so key. And I think you think about, okay, a foreign currency loan. I mean, really who oh, is going to understand totally. that? <laughs> Even if there's a lower interest rate, what is the economic benefit to giving oh. someone a foreign currency loan? I think we have to, this is where it comes yeah. back to this ethical code of saying, is that really in the best interests of the investor? Am I really holding a fiduciary duty when I'm giving them a loan that is one of the most important things in their financial journey and I'm giving exactly. it to them in a foreign currency? To me, that is just absolutely crazy. And I mean, even what has driven financial innovation, like product innovation in the past, um, might not necessarily have been a pure, is this serving my clients best? Or is it is this just an ability to, you know, make some mm. extra money or like to, to take advantage of, you know, yeah. market mispricing, which is obviously a very um, valid thing to do, but not if it comes at the expense of clients and their futures and what they have come to you for. This culture of winning at all costs. Yeah. And and also I th- exactly. think also pushing it back onto the buyer and saying, you know, well let the buyer beware, you know, you you make sure you know what you're doing. But you know, that can only take you so far. And I definitely believe in being educated and doing your own research. And if you don't understand it, really you shouldn't be um, investing in it or buying it. You know, it's really important that you you have a mm-hmm. really good hard look at it and do your own due diligence. But at the same time, I think back to the points that you guys have both made, it's about ethics, right, and doing the right thing and um, putting your client first. And, and that's where it all kind of, to me, went pear-shaped, that the client was forgotten and it was all about just making as much money as possible from the client not what was in their best exactly. interest. Um, and clearly not everyone mm-hmm. you know, is um, to blame here. There are some amazing people in the financial services industry that are absolutely you know, distraught by the way that people have behaved and it's, you know, and and everyone is tarnished by it. Mm-hmm. We, we are all affected by the mistakes of others. And so, you know, this is a crossroads. This is a time to improve um, the industry and it is important because um, the industry serves a, you know, a great purpose when it is um, behaving correctly. For me, something that comes to mind when we have this discussion is, is Enron because when I was at uh, university and starting out in my career, I had to do a, a paper on Enron and it was just a fascinating, spectacular example of what was actually coined as a legal fraud. So I don't know, <laughs> you think about what Enron did and they there's been a lot of regulatory changes since then, particularly on the accounting side, but they were using a principle called mark to market, which is when you can book all your future potential profits today. So that was actually legal at the time. But it meant that what they were reporting in terms of their earnings and profits were totally detached from reality and the worth of the entity. And then you see this collapse of this, one of the most loved uh, companies in the 90s where so many people had their life savings and retirement savings and then they were eroded to nothing. And that all came back to, as you touched on, culture because there was this culture of winning at all costs. And it was a super innovative company. They were essentially launching Enron Broadband, which was effectively Netflix. So bringing live streaming to the world, (laughs) which was such an innovative thing to be part of, but no one understood how the company was making money. And they were booking all of these future profits today. So that was technically legal, um, but really was doing the wrong thing. And you have to ask yourself, if you were working at, at Enron at that time, 
would you have been comfortable with that? Because you get sucked mm. into the culture, this really impressive uh, visionary leadership. The company is extremely innovative, but deep down it's not touched into reality. So you have to wonder if you were working there yourself, would you, would you have the confidence to blow the whistle on that? Would you even... Would you even think there was anything wrong with that? I think this all comes back to the, the mm. strength of this culture that can be so persuasive at times. It's quite frightening when you look back on it. There was something interesting that if you look back on the transcripts of um, Enron's legal proceedings, the CFO admits during the court case, I mean, at that point, the jig's up, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that he was... Ex- he, go, yeah, we hope so. he was like, I was extremely... <laughs> totally. He was like, I was extremely greedy and I lost my moral compass. Mm-hmm. I mean, that echoes, Mm. yeah, that echoes the point that company culture shapes the activities and can ultimately either strengthen or diminish like consumers and investors' trust and confidence. And good people can be corrupted. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The other thing you talk to as well, Jemima, which I really like, is that all stakeholders and the short-termism of just sort of um, serving shareholders and trying to make as much money as you can um, and not playing the long game. And I think Larry Fink has been a real leader in in this space in terms of focusing on all stakeholders. So it's not just your shareholders that you've got to benefit. You've got to benefit. You've got to be thinking about your employees. You've got to be thinking about the communities that you operate within. Exactly. Actually, everyone has to be benefiting from your activities or otherwise it's not sustainable. You know, you will not be a profitable company. You might not even exist if you're not looking at the whole ecosystem and you're not considering every part of that mm-hmm. ecosystem and you're not playing if you're not playing the long game and you're just looking to ramp up short-term profits constantly kind of chasing your tail right because you'd have to be I mean it's like mm. there was a great thing that this is going to be completely random but Shonda Rhimes the lady created Grey's Anatomy she um she mentioned like the whole concept of short-termism but in another lens but it was a really good analogy like laying track if you're pursuing stuff that's short term and you're like a train, you're constantly having to to go at the speed that you want, which is to pursue short term goals. You have to constantly lay one piece of track that you can actually go forward. But it, it does reach a point where that's not sustainable. I mean, a lie built on another lie built on another lie. It'll all come crumbling mm-hmm. down. And there's so many examples of that in well, history. That's the Ponzi in the end. <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're right. We're seeing more interest in ESG investing now because people do want to do the right thing. So, environmental, social governance investing. I think people really want to put the weight of their superannuation or their money to to something that is doing the right thing by society. And I think some of these mega trends we're seeing on the back of things like the Royal Commission that we've spoken about are positive outcomes. It's unfortunate it comes to that to see these things rise in popularity, Uh, but they are some positive things that we can see coming from this. I mean, you've all probably drunk out of a metal straw (laughs) at some point. You see (laughs) recently in the last couple of years, you see them everywhere now. There's definitely a trend toward more environmental awareness in everything we do, and it's really encouraging to see that coming to financial services as well. Yeah, I think people are much more inclined to invest aligned to their values now. And so exactly. those values can be you know, very individual. And so um, I think that then lends itself to can you customise client portfolios to, to match the, their values and to deliver on um, their, their requirements. 
And I think that that's also an interesting point. I've noticed, um, you know, I've read the Investor Trend Survey and Managed Accounts, for example, a really transparent structure seems to be gaining a lot of popularity. They survey advisors and uh, ask them why do they use Managed Accounts and they look at it from an advisor's lens and from a client's lens and the clients really love the transparency. So these are really transparent structures so that clients can see all the underlying holdings and so that are helped helps with trust because there's nothing to hide. It's completely transparent. I know exactly what I'm invested in. And sort of look back to not so long ago, really what we were saying as an as a industry is trust us, um, give us your money. We'll tell you what the top 10 holdings are, but, um, you know, we know what we're doing. Everything is fine. And, and you know, I'm sure 90 percent of the time or, or above it was, but it's not enough anymore. People are saying, actually, no, I, and I, I know, I want to know what I'm invested in. I want to know every single holding. I, you know, and it doesn't mean I'm going to question it and want to have things removed or mm-hmm. want to have things added, but I just want to have the comfort that I know what I'm invested in. Mm-hmm. And so that whole transparency is some is a way that you can actually improve trust. And I think that that's a, an innovation that the industry has delivered and that technology has allowed the, um, the industry to deliver to clients so that they can invest aligned to their values and they can invest in a very transparent way and feel really comfortable with what they're invested in. You hit on the three key themes that came out of the CFA Institute's Investor Trust Study, which just came out, where they said that the three key themes affecting investor trust today are information. So the fact that For people to trust the system, information is essential and that touches on the point around transparency. Um, Innovation, which is the fact that you can use technology to enhance people's trust. So by having accessibility to looking at what your super is on your phone or um, just engaging. Yeah, it's just so important. Can really exactly enhance how people, you know, trust in the trust and engage with the system. And then the other bit that touches on Cassie's point, which is investors' desire for influence and control is growing. I mean, like you said, Mm. Erica, people want the ability to invest in line with their values. That is becoming innate. And ESG investing is so primed for that. And we see that not only often people say, oh, it's a millennial trend to want to invest for the greater good, but we're actually seeing that with the boomer, the retirement generation as well. So I think this is definitely a phenomenon, as I said, a mega trend that's coming across all of the demographics and ages, and it's just so exciting to yeah, see that sure. come to the forefront. And I think, you know, I sort of look at um, some of these amazing um, shows about <laughs> finance, so billions I have enjoyed watching. Um, I the Wolf of Wall Street, the big short, <laughs> but they all sort of show a pretty grim view of financial services, I suppose, and it's that people in finance only care about making money and they're not actually caring about the impact that they make on society. Yeah. So that's the perception that's kind of being played out in Hollywood um, and, you know, I feel like that perception's being carried across in real life. And that does make people distrustful. And gosh, you just got to jump on social media. I sort of watch a bit of Twitter um, and people are so distrustful and almost angry um, at times. And and it's it's a real problem. Mm. (laughs) Um, So I know that with the sort of recent market correction, there was a lot of people that were on, on Twitter and on social media sort of um, being very distrustful about what what had happened and why the 
industry hadn't sort of protected their money, but not perhaps understanding that part of the journey of investing is that it can be volatile. And so part of the you know, the price of playing, um, to, not to sort of try to undermine, it's not really playing, but, you know, the price of investing is that at sometimes there's going to be losses. Sometimes mm. the market's going to turn down, but it's not that anyone's done anything wrong. Um, obviously, it's just part of the process of investing and, you know, hopefully you'll have more ups and downs, but volatility is is just to be expected, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But that lack of trust drove a lot of hysteria. Like some of these comments were, were pretty brutal. I mean, you can see why people would be so enraged, especially if there is that whole issue that we highlighted um, in episode one around financial literacy being a pandemic. If people don't fundamentally understand what's going on, the, the pros and cons of investing and also have the expectation as well, because that's what comes with learning about finances that you do know it's not going to be rosy all the time, but you do understand that it's especially for something like super or um, if you're saving for something that's a long-term goal, like you can understand that it is a long-term game, but without that education, you can see why people would be so upset because this is their money that they have entrusted so without that understanding of what can go wrong, it can, you know, money is so crucial to everything as we explored last time that yeah. you can see why people are just, you know, pulling their hair out. Um, and it's incumbent on everyone, not just people who work in financial institutions, but it really steps further than that, like financial literacy and hate to bang on this point, but it's just so fundamental. Like it needs to be ingrained in society. Like it's such a life skill, you know. What would be interesting to explore is what you both think are some of the ways that we can work to rebuild trust. So we know that trust is at an all-time low and that's really disappointing as people that love financial services and think it has a whole lot to offer. But how do you think... What are some of the practical things that we could do to help rebuild it? Yeah, and for me, it's communication, it's transparency, it's really trying to educate people and, and to get rid of all the yeah, acronyms the and the technical <laughs> language and just simply and plainly explain what is going yeah. on um, and yeah. and try and do it in a way that's not, you know, going to send people to sleep, which I know may not be easy, but I think it's possible. I think it can be done. And, look, I do think technology is going to help with that. You know, there's um, you can gamify the, your knowledge and learning of um, financial services, exactly. for example. Um, the fact that you can get beautiful information on your mobile device you know, and you can have it in pictures. I love pictures. So, you know, if I can see it on a picture, that is so much more meaningful to me than seeing it um, on a, you know, in a written sort of format. So I think the technology, the transparency, the education, the communications are ways that we can really help the end consumer feel more confident and empowered with their finances. Corporate culture is, is a key thing that an institution can um, use to, or to really live by to ensure that they are worthy of being trusted. And I think not just saying that, you know, we have this amazing corporate culture, but to actually live those values and demonstrate to back to society that we are doing what we're saying. So, you know, we do mm, put... Role modelling it. Exactly. Like your interests are our complete focus and demonstrating back 
that this is exactly how we've delivered on that promise. How you demonstrate and how you communicate that, to your point, Erica, that has fundamentally changed. So is it using technology and using like videos to demonstrate that that's the way instead of a, mm, you know, 100-page report that yeah. no one really reads <laughs> or select yeah. groups and, read? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The people that read yeah. it are the people that are financially that's literate cool. that don't probably need to read it. Exactly. And I think I'm loving what you're both sharing because I think it comes back to the heart of why we're even doing this podcast and talking because we really see a need to try to normalise some of the great things the industry does in a really simple way. I think I think they're excellent ideas. Yeah, and I think the point, again, and no, this is something that I bang on about a lot, is, you know, talk is cheap, show me the money, it's your actions that matter. So, you know, like yeah. you, anyone can have <laughs> yeah, a mission statement right. and say this is what we're going to do, but actually are you living that, breathing it, delivering on it? So that's what I'm hearing what mm-hmm. you're saying, Jemima. That's what I'm hearing you're saying as well, Cassie, and it's absolutely what I believe in as well. Like just, you know, your actions are what, you know, demonstrates your commitment to mm-hmm. the end investor. Exactly. And I think the key thing is if we all consciously work on collectively rebuilding trust in the industry, and that's also never going to be a, that's a never ending pursuit, right? Trust, investor trust and confidence can ultimately turn into investor loyalty. Um, And it's just such a, you know, um, virtuous cycle that does elevate not only the industry, which as practitioners, that's obviously a great thing, but it does elevate society, right? It does ensure that we're we're using finance and all of its capabilities to actually elevate all of us collectively to a higher standard. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think trusting is hard, but knowing who to trust is even harder. And so, you know, implementing all these um things that we've talked about is one way to get to, for consumers and investors to, to gain that confidence in um, the financial services industry. So I don't actually have anything else. Like, for me... <laughs> I was like, can we wrap this up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I ran out of things a few minutes ago, but I wasn't sure how to say yeah, that. Yeah. So I was like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 